As we approach Valentine's Day, a day when typically Americans traditionally display acts of love and kindness towards those we care about the most, we arrive at a section here in Luke where true love and devotion is taught and displayed. That's why I've titled this morning's message, True Love and Devotion. As you'll soon see, this week as we close out Luke chapter 10, we're going to look at two stories. One of love and one of devotion. Here, Luke will challenge us. He will challenge you. He will challenge me to follow Jesus in daily life by taking the opportunity to show love to others and to show devotion for God by listening and obeying his word. So before we begin, let's open up with a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here this morning. I pray for those that um, couldn't make it, that you will bless them, Lord, wherever they may be. Um, I pray that you will protect them, um, watch over their families as well, Lord. Lord, we want to hear from you this morning. Lord, we want to just sit at your feet and soak, Lord, at, 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 at every single word that's found here in, in the Bible, Lord, in this story, in these two stories we're about to read. Lord, we want to feed on it, be nourished by it, Lord. Lord, help us to see the words here. May they come alive. May they just penetrate into our hearts, into our minds. Lord, help us to love others and help us to just show complete devotion to you. Fill this room with your spirit, Lord. We want to hear from you now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And we're going to begin in verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Then an expert of the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road, When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? To the man who fell into the hands of robbers. The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, Go and do the same. Sometime after Jesus' private conversation that he had with his disciples in verses 23 to 24, Luke tells us that an expert of the law, and some of your um, translation may say scribe, um, but an expert of the law of Moses stood up to test Jesus. Now, it wasn't uncommon for Jewish religious leaders to, of that day to discuss, to debate 
theological matters in public. However, in this particular instance, the goal of this religious leader, of this religious lawyer, wasn't to gain knowledge, wasn't to exchange ideas and to, to gain more knowledge. His intent was to test the Lord with a, twi- with a trick question in order to trap him. Now, it is quite possible that he was maybe just trying to make a name for himself in front of all the other lawyers, all the other religious leaders that were there. Or perhaps, just maybe he thought he could outsmart the Son of God. But whatever the reasons were, his question was simple. It was a simple one that everyone who believes in God asks. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, two things ought to stand out here. First of all, to him, to this lawyer, Jesus was only a teacher. And number two, for him, eternal life was was something that could be earned or merited. Now, if you don't already know this, let me just quickly tell you, let me just tell you, if a church or a religion tells you that Jesus was just a good teacher, or that you've got to fulfill all kinds of requirements to inherit eternal life, I suggest just walk out that door and don't waste your time. First of all, Jesus was more than a teacher. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 tells us, The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things, by his powerful word. And secondly, eternal life can't be earned or merited. Now listen the, the, carefully. The New Living Translation puts Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9 like this. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. This reminds me of something George Whitfield famously said. Works? Works? A man could get to heaven by works? I would soon think of climbing to the moon on a rope of sand. Now this lawyer may have also expected that Jesus' answer will reveal his weakness and falseness in his teaching and lead people away from him and back to them, back to those religious leaders. However, our Lord responded by pointing him back to Moses' law and then asked him what it said and how he, how he interpreted it. Now, I think it's very likely that the Savior would have given him a more direct answer had that lawyer been humble and had he asked with sincere motives. But nevertheless, being true to his profession, this religious scribe answered by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and Leviticus chapter 19, chapter 19 verse 18. And you know what? He was right. The law demanded that man love the Lord supremely and that he love his neighbor as himself. This was the first time the Lord and a religious leader actually agreed on something. This was the first time they they agreed on what the Bible said. Now, Christians, believers, those of you who Call yourself followers of Christ, born-again believers, regardless of what church or denominational background those other, maybe other Christians are from. We all should agree on this as well. Love just isn't just an idea of the, mi- of the mind, but an action of one's strength, a feeling of one's soul, an emotion of one's heart. Having a love for God and others 
must control the entire person. When our words and actions are controlled by genuine love, it proves that we've been born again. 1 John 4, 7 says, Let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves God has been born of God and knows God. So after letting him know that he answered correctly, Jesus told them that if he did this, he would live. But instead of just leaving the issue alone and accepting that Jesus said that he was right, verse 29 says that he sought to justify himself. And what does that mean? How did he try to justify himself? See, he knew in his mind that he was right. He was right about what God's word says, but he also knew in his heart that he wasn't applying it correctly. So he tried to wiggle himself out of this predicament by using an old debate tactic to find the word and explain what you mean by neighbor. Who is my neighbor? A lot of times, religious people will try to narrowly define what God says to justify themselves in order to avoid obeying what God really says. Some will say, I love God. You know how I know I love God and you know how I can prove to you I love God? I go to church on Sunday and I volunteer my time, I give to charities. I, you know, when I'm, you know, when I'm in need, I, I pray or, um, but that's how I love God. But really Monday through Saturday, it's a whole, totally different story. Their lives look completely different from Monday through Saturday than it is on Sunday. They live, they almost live their lives like they're completely in the world. Jesus spoke about this, these, when he said in Matthew 15, 8, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Others will say, sure, I love my neighbor because I know them, they're my friend. I invite them over for the cookout or I watch their kids every once in a while and um, they watch my kids and, you know, we, we get along well. I do them favors and they do me favors. Um, yeah, we hang out. Sure, I love my neighbor. But they have no compassion when they find out that that atheist coworker that they've been working with for all these years was just diagnosed with cancer. See, maybe in his mind, he thinks he is fulfilling the command to love your neighbor by being nice and being courteous to the people they know, their friends, you know, their acquaintances. But in reality, when they find out about that, again, that coworker that they don't get along with, they've never got along with, that weird guy or girl that, um, that they've known for you know, several years, but they just never talked to, or that annoying person, when they, something horrible, something terrible happens to them, there's just no love there for that person. Who is your neighbor? Well, Jesus clarifies that next. He answers the lawyer's question with a story <coughs> that all of us should be familiar with, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, instead of going through the entire story again, I'm just going to give you a, a quick summary of it. A robbery victim, probably a Jew, lay half dead on the road to Jericho. Both a Jewish priest and a Levite had seen him, but ignored the dying man deliberately, ignored the dying man and deliberately passed by on the other side. It was the hated Samaritan who came to the rescue and had compassion. He bandaged his wounds, 
brought him to an end, to an inn and paid for his care, his immediate care and his future care. Now, this would have been an unexpected twist to anyone listening to this story. It would be if, as if I told, you know, a bunch of kids that, you know, uh, Captain America was really a bad guy and he killed everyone in the movie. It's, it was just a crazy twist to the story. Why? Because the heroes here in this story, they weren't the respected religious leaders, but rather the compassionate Samaritan whom the Jews despised. He loved those who hated him, risked his own life, spent his own money, and he did it anonymously without being publicly rewarded or honored. See, this here is true neighborly love. A love that goes beyond anything society or religious law expects and, and acts simply because of the extreme need of another. To the Samaritan, that Jew that lay there half dead on the road, the Jew that was there, that was in need, was his neighbor. Now, if Jesus were telling this story today, I personally would imagine it would sound something like this. Again, these are my words here. A gay man was going down from Las Cruces to El Paso and fell into the hands of hateful thieves. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A local televangelist happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a popular prosperity preacher, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a member of a small church on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and administered first aid. Then he put him, on his, then he put him in his family car, brought him to an urgent care facility, and stayed with him overnight. The next day, he took out his credit card, gave it to the person from the billing department, and said, take care of him. Send me his entire medical bill, and I'll pay for it. Now, in all reality, you can insert any group in there, any group of people in there. But reading it in this way may, may just maybe help you understand the point a little better. My imaginary re remake of remake of this story. In my imaginary remake of this story, the thieves on the road to El Paso saw this gay traveler as someone deserving to be attacked. The televangelist and prosperity pe preacher saw him as a nuisance to be avoided. The small church member saw him as a neighbor to love. So the question is, how do you see people? This story ought to challenge you. It ought to bless you. And it also ought to convict you all at the same time. Well, after giving him this parable, Jesus asked the legal expert an inescapable question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? What's amazing about our Lord Jesus Christ is that he always knew the best way, that the best way to turn the tables on irrational arguments was by asking the right questions. Regarding this, G. Campbell Morgan said, we are arrested by the fact that he, com he completely shifted the ground of the question. And by this reply said, in effect, that the question as to who is a neighbor, a neighbor was not so important as the question to whom he was a neighbor. You see, the real question isn't who is my neighbor, but rather to whom can I be a neighbor? See, church, by asking this question, 
the answer won't have anything to do with someone's geography, citizenship, or race, or economic background, or you know, sexual orientation, or whatever, whatever's out there. See, your neighbor will be wherever people need us, regardless of who they are, what they look like, and what they believe. There, to those people, we can be neighbors and show mercy. So knowing there was no way out of this one, the lawyer gave the only possible answer, the one who showed mercy to him. As an expert of the law, the scribe certainly knew that God required his people to show mercy, even to strangers and enemies. For example, he would have known what it said in Leviticus 19, verses 33 to 34. When an alien resides with you in your land, you must not oppress him. You will regard the alien who who resides with you as the native born among you. You are to love him as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Mercy, kindness, and compassion, my friends, are the products of a supernatural love that comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It was this love that Jesus displayed when he took the sins of the world, when he hung on the cross. Well, upon hearing his answer, our Lord simply tells him, go and do the same. Here, Jesus was challenging this lawyer to do the same thing the Samaritan had done, which was something he probably had never done before. To love those, to love those who, who others might consider to be his enemy and show mercy to those who were in need that were right in front of him. What Jesus says to the lawyer He also says to us, go and keep on doing it likewise. That is the literal translation of go and do the same. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap in proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have As we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all. C.H. Spurgeon wrote, When we see innocent persons suffering as a result of sin, of the sin of others, our pity for them should be excited. He then gives us examples of situations that should provoke pity for the believer. Children sick and starving because of a drunken father. Wives overworked and burdened because of lazy and cruel husbands. Workers oppressed in wages and working conditions just to survive. Those afflicted from accidents and disease. Knowing then whom we are to be neighbors to, let us go and do the same to those we encounter, to those who are in need. Yes, even if they hate you for what you believe and who you believe in. This is what our Savior said in Luke chapter 6, verse 35. But love your enemies. Do what is good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Well, this chapter ends with a brief scene involving two sisters, Martha and Mary, who, as we'll see, had different ways of showing their dedication, their devotion to Jesus. As I read these, these last few verses, 
as you read them, actually, I want you to find the lesson that Jesus was trying to teach them on dedication, on what dedication looks like in a disciple. So let's pick up in verse 38 and read until the end of the chapter. While they were traveling, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet but was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and, and it will not be taken from her. Now, before we get, dig into the lessons that Jesus is teaching here, I want to first take a moment to fill in some details that maybe aren't mentioned here. The village in verse 38 was Bethany, just over the Mount of Olives, which was about two miles east of Jerusalem. There Jesus arrived and was welcomed into the home of Martha. Now, according to John chapter 11, she was the sister of Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. In verse 39, we're introduced to her sister Mary, who we're told was sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Now, aside from this moment here, Mary of Bethany is seen two other times in the gospel record. And on each, on each occasion, she is in the same place at the feet of Jesus. In John chapter 11, uh, verse 32, we're told, we're, uh, we're told that uh, she was at his feet and shared his woe. In John chapter 12, verse 3, it says that she came to his feet and poured out her worship. And this here was the third instance. Now, it's also interesting to note that in each of these three instances, there was a different kind of fragrance. Here in Luke chapter 10, it's food. In John chapter 11, it's death. And in John chapter 12, it's Now, while Mary was listening intently, while she was just soaking in, just feeding off of every word coming from the Lord. Luke tells us that Martha was distracted by her many tasks. In other words, she was busy with the preparations and formalities associated with the visit of a VAP like Jesus. She was getting the house ready. She was cooking the meals and, and, and making sure everything was in order. She was... You know, going from one end of the house to the other and making sure the guests were, were okay. The problem here was that, the problem here wasn't that she was working hard for Jesus. That's actually good, to work hard for Jesus. The problem was that her work was distracting her from Jesus. Well, Martha's irritation with her sister had reached a boiling point. So instead of just talking to Mary about it and saying, hey, sister, I, I, I would appreciate your help. You know, you just give me a hand with this. Maybe just whispering in her ear and, and telling her, being nice about it. She went straight to Jesus so that he would rebuke her. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me? To serve alone so tell her to give me a hand in these in the last two verses of the of this chapter we see Jesus's two-part response the first part of his response was a gentle rebuke not to 
Mary, but to Martha. Martha, Martha. And you could almost hear it in his voice. My dear Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. Here, Jesus was telling her that she was too stressed out about earthly things, that her life was out of focus, dedicated to fulfilling the world's expectations rather than Jesus. In the second part of his response, he informs her of the one thing in life that is necessary and that Mary had made the right choice and that it wouldn't be taken from her. So what was it? What was that choice that she made? Well, life has one essential need, to hear and obey the Word of God. In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, he said, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, ladies and gentlemen, this here is the devotion that our Lord wanted from Martha. And it's the devotion that he desires from his followers. Followers like you and me. The lesson here is that mere formalities of, relation, of a relationship with Jesus, things like serving the Lord dinner or meeting him in a social setting, must never take the place of a vital personal relationship with the Lord. In other words, mere social contact with Jesus or with other disciples, with other followers, with other Christians in church cannot replace serious attention to his teaching. Quoting Spurgeon once again. For they who submit to Jesus find peace through his precious blood. It means holiness. For those who learn of Jesus, learn, uh, learn no sin, but are instructed in things lovely and of good repute. It means strength. For they that sit with Jesus are fed upon him, are girded with his strength. The joy of the Lord is their strength. It means wisdom. For they that learn of the Son of God understand more than the ancients, because they keep his statutes. It means zeal, for the love of Christ fires hearts that live upon it. And they that are much with Jesus become like Jesus, so that, so that the zeal of the Lord's house eats them up. Here, last passage of Luke chapter 10, I see three lessons, three important lessons. The first lesson is, it should be obvious, this, the importance of sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing from him. Although it doesn't say, I'm sure Mary had done her fair share of getting things ready before Jesus got there. I have no doubt that she was as helpful as she could possibly be to Mary to get everything ready. They, they knew that one way to serve the Lord was to make things ready for his coming. To make sure that everyone, all the guests that were there, were also comfortably, uh, comfortable and well-fed. So I have no doubt she, she was up early in the morning, too, and getting the food ready, getting the house ready. But for her, when it was time for her to feed on the words of the Savior, nothing else mattered. Everything else faded away. All she wanted to do was hear from Jesus. All the chores, all the food, 
Everything, everything, the world could have ended around her. And all that mattered to her was sitting there at the feet of the Savior to hear his words. That's why we encourage you to have a personal devotion, devotion time, whether it's in the morning or at night or in the middle of the day. Open up God's word and just read. Spend some time just praying, but not just speaking, but also just quiet time listening. And that's why we also tell you, that's why we also, when you hear us pray, you hear us pray that all distractions may be removed during this time of, 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 of worship, during this time of, of, of when we're teaching the Word of God, because all that stuff should be left outside these walls. And the only thing that matters should be the words that are coming out of this book here, the message that's being delivered. Uh, out of it. That should be a heart just sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening. When it comes to hearing God's word, Jeremiah fifteen sixteen says it well. Your words were found and I ate them. Your words became a delight to me and the joy of my heart. The second lesson here is not to let ministry distract you from sitting at Jesus' feet. In the Greek, the word translated for tasks there in verse 40 is diakonia, which also means serving or ministering. So it's safe to say that while Jesus was teaching, Martha had become too distracted serving others. Imagine that there's Jesus is her Lord, her Savior, the, the man who had just raised her brother from the, from, from the dead, was teaching words of eternal life, words of wisdom, the words of God. And she is just too busy doing all kinds of different things concerned and worried about whether the food was hot enough, whether the temperature was, was nice there in the room, whether there was, um, you know, whatever it may be. She, had, she was just distracted by all kinds of things. She didn't take the time just to, to stop and to listen. And we too can do that, not just in, in ministry, but just with our lives. Oh, I'm too busy to pray right now because, you know, I'm, I, need to, I need to watch this game or I need to listen to this podcast or I need to, you know, I've got something important coming up. Now, I understand there are things that, are ha- that happen that you need to get to. But what do you do when it's over? You move on to the next thing. Have you ever just, before you got to, get, got to work, maybe... 10 minutes early, 5 minutes early, and just sat in your car and, and just prayed? Do you ever, just before you go to bed, spend five, ten, 5 minutes, 10 minutes, opening the Word of God and reading? You know, I, there's, there's always time to spend with the Lord, whether it's in the shower, whether it's before a meal, whether it's there's all kinds of places, all kinds of ways in which you can show that devotion, in which you can just hear from the Lord and, and, and talk to the Lord. He wants to hear from you. Remember again, He died for you. He cares about you. He wants to know what's going on in your life, but He also wants to impart wisdom to you. And there's so much wisdom found here and in this book, in God's in our Bibles. And maybe you say, oh, well, the book's too bulky and, you know, and, and I, I don't always have it in my hand. 
Everybody has a phone now. You can get an app. I have my Bible app on my phone. Do you have a Bible app on your phone? There's all kinds of translations there. Everything from the NIV, the New Living Translation, to the King James, from Latin versions, Spanish versions, German versions. There's no excuse. Just pull out your phone. Spend, read a chapter. Maybe read a passage. Maybe even just read, you know, from verses, what, 24, 25 to 42. When you're done reading, just stop and listen carefully and, and chew on the words. Chew on it and see what the Lord wants to show you, teach you, what he wants to say to you. Because we can all read what it says. But are we really listening to what it's saying? As I mentioned earlier, serving is good. And the Lord is pleased with it. But don't get so caught up in it that you neglect getting your own spiritual nourishment. The key is to have the right priorities. Jesus Christ first, then others, then ourselves. It's vitally important that we spend time at the feet of Jesus every single day, letting him share his word with us. The most important part of the Christian life is the part that only God sees. Unless we meet Christ personally and privately each day, we will soon end up like Martha, busy and not blessed. The third lesson here is that devotion to Jesus will always be the right choice. You might be performing this duty, you might be performing this duty, caring for that obligation or involved in numerous other ministries. But in this passage, Jesus shows, that, shows us that what we do with him as a friend, as far as is far more important than anything we could ever do for him in service. Yes, we are ambassadors for him. Yes, we are to look for opportunities to be neighbor like him. But our greatest call and highest privilege is to be a lover of him. As I begin to conclude here, in this chapter, Jesus sent out a large group of followers to carry out his mission until he could get to those villages. Their work showed the kingdom of God is at hand, for Jesus sees Satan falling from heaven. All chance for victory for him, for Satan, is gone. Jesus rejoiced that the followers, had, the followers had learned the things of God that Jesus came to reveal. Having learned from Jesus, the disciples still, find them, still found themselves at a crossroads. For Jesus had another lesson for them. The lesson of love and the lesson also of devotion. Were they to follow a Samaritan's example and love a needy stranger with self-sacrificing love? Were they willing to forego the duties of the social order to listen to Jesus' teaching, to sit there and be completely devoted to him? One might say that this account from the life of Jesus shows us three types of those who say they follow Jesus Christ. There are people like Mary, those who know how to serve and also sit at Jesus' feet. There are people like Martha, who dilig who dilig those who diligently and with the best intention serve God, but without adding the one thing a continued focus on Jesus. 
and it results in great frustration. There are people who don't do either. They're not even in the house with Jesus, for they're too busy with their own pursuits. So the question I want to ask all of you this morning is, which one are you? There is no better place than to sit at the feet of Jesus in complete worship, adoration, and devotion to him. People say that we need a revival. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. People say that we need unity. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. People say that we need to win arguments. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. People say we need to reach the world. Once again, we need to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. That comes first. And then everything else. Then everybody else, everything else. We need to sit at Jesus' feet. That is so important for us Christians as, as believers. We can't forget, again, what he's done for us. What he wants to do in us. What he wants to do for us. And what he wants to do through us. If you are truly his child, if you truly are born again, that should be, it should be that an inner desire. You shouldn't want anything else but to be with him, to hear from him. Because you know that his words contain life. His words will guide you. They will teach you. They will make you... Remember, He's transforming you more into His image. He's trying to chip away and... and, uh, He's trying to chip away all those bad things that are in your life. He's trying to remove them. And as you study and read His Word, that's what He does if you allow Him to. What are you sitting at his feet? Who, what kind of person are you? Are you like a Martha, a Mary? Again, there was nothing wrong with what Martha was doing. It's fine to serve, but just don't let it distract you. Let's close with prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, I... Again, I, I just want to thank you for your word here, Lord. And First of all, I just pray that you will show us how to love more. Love like you love. May we see the needs of our neighbors to truly see them. May we just love them and minister to them, Lord. So many hurting people out there. And I know that you want to use us to minister to them. We have so many also family members out there that don't like us. But we know that they're hurting too, Lord. We know that they, they're going through a lot. And you want to use us to minister to them. May we just be reminded of this story, Lord. During those times when we are with, with those people. Whoever they may be. May we remember again that 
we ought to be neighbors to those out there in the world who are in need. Not just our brothers and sisters in Christ, but those out there in the world who are needing. And may we may you use those opportunities for us to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, and may we also just have a heart like Mary. May we have a zeal of, of, of working like Martha, but may we also just have a heart just to sit and listen and at your feet. Remind us how important that is. Lord, thank you again for, for what you're doing in our lives, what you're doing in the lives of those that are coming to know you, that are, will come to know you, Lord. I, I pray that you will completely, radically transform them. bless everyone's upcoming week. Keep them safe, Lord. May they just continue to be your beautiful witnesses out there. And give them, use them, Lord, in their schools, in their <coughs> workplaces. May they see your love through them. Bless us next time, Lord, of, of, fellowship, of, of fellowship, and and we look forward again to, to hearing more from you. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.